Hello, and welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a podcast about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series by two moms who write about autism and who happen to also be Star Trek fans. Together, we talk about the new series, how it relates to previous versions of Star Trek, and any autism issues that we happen to see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hey, this is Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today, we're talking about the final episode in the first half of Season 1, Into the Forest I Go, where we glory in Star Trek nerdy techno solutions and do a comparison of themes that were in contention to be the opening theme for the series. Okay, we are talking today about the final episode in the first half of the first season of the Star Trek Discovery series, and this episode is entitled Into the Forest I Go. And we start off with the continuation of the previous episode where we left the very peaceful, blue, glowy people on the planet of Pavo having issued a call for Starfleet and the Klingons to come together at Pavo ostensibly to negotiate some kind of peace between the two warring groups. And the Discovery folks are really worried because they're concerned that when the Klingons arrive, they're just going to destroy the Pavans out of hand and not want to engage in any kind of peace discussions. However, Starfleet is ordering the Discovery to return back to Starbase and sort of abandon the Pavans, and our Captain Lorca, in a surprising act of chivalry, (laughs) once again defies orders to be able to protect the Pavans. So what did you think of his desire to protect the Pavans? Never, I'm never truly on board with his desire to protect anybody. I think he just wants to stay in the fight. I think it might be that he doesn't want to lose control of that ship. Yeah, and he doesn't. He doesn't want to stay. He wants to stay in the fight. So he and he does just that. He orders the ship to return to starbase at warp, rather than using the spore drive. And in order to document this deviation from his orders, orders Lieutenant Stamets to go get a medical examination because they're going to use that as their excuse for not using the spore drive and jumping back to the starbase immediately. Unfortunately, what this means is, is that that really cute conversation between Stamets and Tilly in the previous episode about the difficulties experiencing using the spore drive now becomes essentially public knowledge to the doctor and the captain. He is developing... I guess, growth in his white matter, in his brain. And that's a problem. But Captain Lorca needs Lieutenant Stamets to help him in this wonderful techno-nerdy plan to defeat the Klingon's cloaking device. I loved the techno-nerdy plan. (laughs) They had to get on board the Klingon ship. They had to plant sensors. They had to monitor it when it went into 
you know, it got cloaked, and then they would be able to determine the cloaking frequency using an algorithm and be able to destroy the ship. That was pure Star Trek, techno-nerdy Star Trek right there. Yeah. He talks Lieutenant Stamets into doing the 133 micro jumps in the, with the spore drive, even though it's clear that it's doing Lieutenant Stamets' harm and his brain. And that scene where he's discussing it with Lieutenant Stamets is amazing. Right. And once again, I think he's just manipulating him for his own purpose. The manipulation was uh, unbelievable. And he knew how to... This whole, this whole episode is just one big manipulation, one after another. It really, really is. It was, it was actually a work of art watching Lorca with Stamets. Lorca knew how to play him like, a, like an instrument. And then, in order to complete their wonderful techno-nerdy plan... Lorca asks for volunteers, and Ash Tyler volunteers, and he wants Michael Burnham to go with him. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> but the response from Captain Lorca is extraordinary. He is absolutely against it. And you wonder why he's willing to sacrifice Lieutenant Stamets, the only one who can run the spore drive, but not Michael Burnham. I don't know. It's very strange. I mean, I know he's... I know he's, I don't even know if we want to call it protective anymore. Um, Possessive. Yeah, she had to pull out her logic. She had to dig, dig deep and pull out that Vulcan logic. To. And I don't think he would have accepted it if that conversation hadn't taken place in public on the bridge. Right. I think if it had been private in his ready room, he would have just simply forbidden it outright, called it an order, and left it at that. But the fact that it took place on the bridge... The, the strategist that he is, he is a behavioral strategist, and he recognized that this was not the time and place to dig in on this one because it wouldn't make sense to everyone else. We start the techno-nerdy mission, and Tyler and Burnham beam aboard the Ship of the Dead. They have devices to mask their life signs so that they appear to be Klingon. They place their first device, which is always a sign that things are going to get hairy because it can't be that easy first time out. <laughs> so as soon as they said first device placed, I'm like, okay, now things are going to get hairy. <laughs> and while they're making their way to the bridge, which is where they're going to place the second device, they discover human life signs on the ship. And it's Admiral Cornwall. Right. And they go find her. She's in the corpse room with the other dead Klingons. It's kind of grisly. And not only is she in there, but Laurel is in there as well. And when they break in, which Tyler was actually able to do quite easily with the explanation, he was on board a Klingon ship as a prisoner for six months, so therefore he knew how to break into Klingon doors, which we'll put that to the side for the moment. <laughs> Right, I, I still kind of, I think, I believe, I think I believe him. I think you're right that he doesn't know. I don't think, I, and I believe that his response when he saw Laurel, the mm -hmm. PTSD response that Admiral Cornwell described was very, really real. It was a real, genuine response. Yeah. And I have to say, I love that 
Star Trek is raising the profile of PTS and PTSD because they are deeply misunderstood in our culture yeah. and treated as character flaws. You're not strong enough to deal with whatever happened to you when in reality they are a measurable psychological event that psychologists and therapists understand and they understand the steps and the stages and what's happening in the brain and I love that Discovery is doing that. That's amazing. The flashbacks that we get for Tyler are disturbing. Yeah, they're a bit much. And I was really, really glad that my son was not watching. He, he disappeared. He <laughs> I, did think, I did think of that while I was watching. <laughs> yeah, he disappeared. He went back to play on his computer. He wasn't interested in watching this episode. And I was really glad. And, yeah. you know, I've always kind of had this love-hate relationship with TV Mature. Because some things, like The Crown, that's a series we've watched on, on Netflix... Yeah, I watched it too. Yeah. The worst things that happened in that series was some tasteless limericks and shots of Matt Smith's butt. Yeah. And that was it. Whereas this one, I'm thinking I might need to watch these ahead of time now as we or get yeah. into this more because we've we've got different sort of set of mature issues. It does go to the point that you raised earlier in that it just makes it feel very real and not like it's Tyler's, if Tyler is Vok, his human responses are not made up. They're genuine. And I, and I, and Cornwell recognizes what's happening and she works really hard to help talk Tyler down while Burnham completes the mission. Meanwhile, Stamets has started his 133 jumps and he's clearly suffering from this experience. And it, and it feels like it goes on for an awfly long time, doesn't it? It, 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 it went, I was going to say that. It, did, it went on forever. It was kind of a little bit like torture. We just wanted it to end so that he would yeah. not suffer anymore. As they're moving along and Burnham's got the second device in place and she's, got, she's pulled out the, the universal translator. So, not, so glad to see that. Oh, I know. We only had to listen to a few lines of Klingon. Yeah. So she hears them talking, she understands them, and she realizes that their plan is on the brink of failure because Cole is going to warp the ship out of there before Discovery can finish doing their sensory readings to be able to craft the algorithm to be able to see through the cloak. And so she very purposefully engages Cole in a battle so that she can buy that time. Mm -hmm. And I really like that scene. Yeah, it was good. Well, she knew how to push his buttons, and it was great. And she didn't let him push hers. They get the, the, the device set. They get all the data they need. They craft their algorithm, and they're ready to beam out their people. And Tyler comes out of his fugue state. What brings him out of the state, though? It, oh, yes, of course. We do need to talk about that. He starts remembering the experiences he has with Michael Burnham and right. the peace and good feelings that come out of that and that those memories override the traumatic memories of being tortured by Laurel. And that was a lovely thing to see. It was really it was really nice. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of the scene from Harry Potter, the movies, um, Order of the Phoenix, where towards the end they're in the Ministry of Magic and Voldemort takes over Harry's mind and Harry starts having 
memories of his friends and their friendship and their caring for each other. And he's able mm-hmm. to shake it off. That's what it was making me think. Yeah. It was a very similar feeling. So they, so he's come out of his fugue because he's remembered these wonderful uh, memories with Michael Burnham. And uh, he, when he's contacted by the ship, he says, I've got Admiral Cornwell. And they beam both of them out. And just as they're starting to beam, Laurel leaps on the back of Ash and is beamed over to Discovery with him. How awful must that have been for him? I know. <laughs> I can't even imagine arriving on the transporter platform and finding this creature on me. And, you know, did he scream like a girl? They connect with Michael Burnham. They announce, you know, let her know that they're going to beam her out, too. She's in the middle of the battle. She grabs Captain Giorgio's uh, uh, insignia that the Klingon had kept as a trophy out of his hand that he'd been taunting her with. She grabs it, throws herself off a balcony, and as she's falling, they beam her out. So she, probably, she yeah. probably landed on the transporter pad with a thud. Probably. But we don't see that. And then with... I know, we thought none of them arrived. No. So then we get... Then with the data that they've got, they are able to fire at the ship of the dead, even though it's cloaked. There's a very satisfying <laughs> explosion scene. <laughs> then we're, we're, we're left with some picking up some of the pieces at the end of this episode. We have the pieces of uh, Michael Burnham and Nash Tyler talking about his experience and what he had done to survive and, you know, them, them connecting with each other about how this, her presence and his relationship with her is healing him. And we see that Lieutenant Stamets has seemed to have escaped from his 133 microjumps relatively unscathed. And he's ready to no longer be the navigator of the ship and move on with his life so that he can remain healthy. And Mm -hmm. Starfleet is so grateful that Captain Lorca has destroyed the ship of the dead and has the ability to get the cloaking device that after the Admiral announces that Admiral Cornwell's ship has arrived and she's going to be just fine, that they're going to give him a medal. Americans don't lie, supposedly. But that just didn't seem like... They seemed like they just wanted to get him back. They want that ship back. Yeah. And Vulcans do lie when they're ordered to. That's true, huh? So... Yeah, I was torn. Yeah, I... There was something that was... There was a pause before he said what he said, as if he was stealing himself to say an untruth. Right. And I think Lorca picked it up, too. I think, yeah, I think he knew they were, he was lying, too. Yeah. And since the Admiral Cornwell had arrived, who knows what she has said. True. He had, a, he had a lot of things to be worried about. Again, we, we have this moment of just sort of, sort of a sense of peace. The ship is destroyed. Ash and Burnham are, are becoming even closer to support each other. Lieutenant Stamets looks like he's going to be okay, and that piece hardly lasts for a moment when there's new wrinkles introduced. We see Ash Tyler having a terrible nightmare, and that nightmare includes what looks like it could be sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah, that was more disturbing than the first one. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Well, yes and no, because if he's really Vok, maybe that was consensual sex that is overlapping with his human memories or 
he might have actually been the victim of sexual assault. If he's Vok and he doesn't remember being Vok, he is, may not have remembered being Vok when he was in that prison. Yes, and in which case the memory is of sexual assault. And I, again, I was really glad my son wasn't watching. And I've seen some people complain about the actual showing of the Klingon boobage. Yes. And I will say this. When I watched The Crown, and I got to see Matt Smith's butt twice, <laughs> I was not real excited about it because it didn't seem to forward the story any. But I'm not sure that it would have been clear that this was sexual activity without the scene of the boobage. No, I haven't really given it that much thought. I just thought it was a little much. Well, and I thought so, too. But then I thought, with all of the way that they filmed these flashback scenes, they're very disjointed, they're very fast. Right. We, as the viewer, would probably not have been able to figure out that that was, a se that was sexual behavior without that nudity. Yeah. It would have looked like it was continued torture. Right. And so, for that particular one, I, I, I rarely say this, but I think that particular nudity was necessary to the story. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I didn't need to see it, I think it was necessary. So he goes in to see her. He wakes up from, from his nightmare, and he goes in to see the prisoner, Laurel. And, oh, it was a great scene. <laughs> what did you think of that scene? I'm wondering if she expects him to know who she is. Maybe things didn't go the way she planned, and maybe he's not. He's supposed to know her. Or he's a sleeper and she's going to trigger some memory somehow. I think the sleeper sting still holds because she did not seem the least bit disturbed by the fact that he was upset about who she was. I mean, he yeah. was clearly upset. He went in there saying, what did you do to me? And she responded, I won't let them hurt you. Right. Who? The humans? And, you know, why would she say that unless there was something going on that she knew that he didn't or the humans didn't and then the next thing she said which was just wonderful wonderfully full of potential was soon like i'm going to do the triggering mechanism soon and you're going to remember yeah. everything yeah so we've got we've got that wrinkle in place now again at, we've got this this mystery that's in place regarding ash tyler and laurel and then we see the captain talking to stamets and Stamets is telling the captain, I'm going to do one more jump to take us back to Starbase, and then that's it. I'm not going to do any more jumps. And it, you can see that's the moment the captain makes a decision. Mm -hmm. It's very subtle. Yeah. You know, he tenses up his face a little bit in frustration and then relaxes. And then he was like, okay, let's go do it. And he tells him that he told them to give Stamets the medal. Yes, which I think was a complete bald face lie. Yeah, because we saw the whole conversation and another conversation later. Which is possible, but I don't believe it. Yeah. Lieutenant Stamets is talking about his future experiences with uh, the doctor. They're going to go to the opera together. It's all very happy, which, of course, is, like, terrible foreshadowing. Right, right. And I did not see this. This was pointed out and materials I read later. So it's, mm -hmm. and I don't know if you saw it either, but did you see what the captain did before they engaged the spore drive? No, I tried, I paused that, the keypad scene, I don't know how many times. And I didn't see. Yeah, the, the keypad scene, he engaged an override. 
Oh, did it? See, I couldn't. I, I don't know how many times I tried to pause it to see. I had to do it on my computer to do it. And I did see it, but I only only after somebody else pointed it out because I would not have been able to see it. I did not see it during the regular viewing because it went by so fast. Yeah. But he engaged a, a Captain Override to a destination unknown. And then they showed up someplace that they didn't know where they were. So, and he's, all the bridge crew was saying, we don't know where we are and we can't figure out where we are. And they emerged after the jump someplace where there was wreckage of some kind. Were you able to identify that wreckage? And I I watched that part over and over again too. I couldn't either. It didn't look any, it didn't look familiar. Yeah. You know, it would have, Borg wreckage is familiar and Starfleet wreckage is familiar, but this did not look familiar. Does the captain know where they are? I'm not sure that he does. I, I'm sure that he didn't want them going back to the base, but I'm not sure that he knows where he sent them. Because he did say as he was getting ready to enter the coordinates on the keypad, let's go home. Right. So that was like, we're going to his home wherever that is oh true yeah that's right (laughs) but was that did he was he achieving that and faking being confused or did because when they did that last jump stamets was very badly injured and Mm -hmm. it's clear that his there's some interesting things happening in his brain and he was not not lucid and he under, underwent some significant serious changes because his eyes changed colors and and so something happened to Stamets. So it's entirely possible that whatever destination the captain plugged in was o- overridden by Stamets's injuries. Okay, so yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I think he he wanted to go somewhere else, but I don't think he knows where they are. Or he knows exactly where they are and he's faking it because he okay. needs to, you know, keep the ruse going as long as possible. So um, I think both of those are real possibilities. Now, one thing I was thinking was, you know, there have been some people theorizing just for the fun of it that it's actually Captain Lorca who is the Klingon spy because he was taken away and tortured. And we didn't uh-huh. see what happened after Laurel finished torturing him. And that would explain why he wants to keep Burnham close by, because if he is a Klingon spy and he wants to save Burnham for a spectacular death and revenge for killing Takuvma. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. We're somewhere that we don't know uh, where they are. I kind of had to wonder when I watched it again, how much the Povins might have had an influence on what happened. I don't think the Povin thread is wrapped up. I thought the title of this was odd because I thought it should have been the title for the episode when they did go down to the planet. Indeed. That's a really good point. Oh. And, and almost that the title of that episode should have been the title of this episode. Yeah. So did you like this episode? Yeah, I did. I did. I thought as a story in and of, it, in and of itself, it was okay. I mean, it was, it was good. Mm-hmm. I think there are better episodes in the first nine episodes than this one. But from the standpoint of furthering the the other character threads and the, the arcs that they've been developing throughout this first half of the series, I thought it was excellent for doing that. Yeah. Lots of new pieces of information. Like Hansel and Gretel, we'll just follow that into the forest. <laughs> 
uh, we have to wait until January to see the next one. That's, it's not that far away, actually. It's really not. No. And I think a lot of people are, you know, concerned about it. But I don't think we have to. And I and you and I, we come from the era where you saw the episode, the, the cliffhanger in May, and didn't get to see what happened until, until September. September. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. so you no, know, this is nothing. Yeah. yeah. Six weeks <laughs> is easy for us. <laughs> So any other thoughts, any other things you want to make sure we talked about with this episode? No, I just, I'm, I'm still, I don't know, because I'm still um, hooked on technology. So I'm still thinking there's some kind of a time travel, changing history kind of, where did they end up? Are they even in the right timeline? Because, and then that would explain why they have all this technology that they shouldn't have. But... Ah, no, that's that's what really has me obsessed. <laughs> well, and the last scene where they jump where they don't know to that supports your your thoughts. I'm hoping because, because then at least it would make sense to me. You know, if they've discovered how to see through a cloaking device, why doesn't anybody know that? And then you know, in the original series, and my obsession right now. That's good. It's a good obsession. <laughs> I, I, I honor and respect this obsession. <laughs> so something else I wanted to do today was I wanted to play for you um, the one of the themes that was considered for the series before they settled on the current theme. And I wanted to see what you thought. So I'm going to play okay. for you, if that's okay with you. It's about a minute and a half. And I'm going to play for you this theme, and I want to hear your thoughts on it. And then we'll play, or what I'll do is maybe play this theme and then play the one that was actually chosen, and we can talk about, you know, the differences between the two. Okay. That was called Into the Unknown, and the composer is Cliff Eidelman, and it is one of the themes that was considered to be the Discovery opening sequence. Okay, so now I'm going to play what was actually selected.
So what do you think about these two very different takes on this new series? Uh, the first one reminded me more of a movie um, theme song. I, I, I thought so too. There was, um, there was a more epic quality to it with the use of the brass and the horns. Yeah. And the one that they selected is more thoughtful in a lot of ways. And they, I think the one they selected conveys more of the anticipation. And Although the title of the first one would have fit. Yes. But I just think it sounded more like a Lord of the Rings opening or uh, something like that. Yeah. Something huge like that. Yes, I think that's a really good observation. I think you're right. It does feel more medieval epic than space. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I also like how the one that they selected, it also conveys some of the dis the discordant sort of themes that we have encountered so far. Yeah. It's not all heroism and flying through the space being on the white on the white horse, the white starship. It conveys some of the complexity that we've been seeing. They they made the right choice right. in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So that's it, and we are going to wrap up the first half here, and we'll go ahead and start recording podcasts when the second half of the season airs in January. So anything you'd like to say to our listeners, and we actually do have some listeners, it's kind of cool, uh, before we <laughs> sign off on this episode. <laughs> okay, come back in January. Come back in January, that's right. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com. That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingstep.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. Music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter at Ross Bugden.